Students begin to sue elite colleges over the bribery scandal. California becomes the 20th state to introduce right to repair. And tech suffers from a Gavin Newsom calls an empathy gap. That's what's coming up in this week's episode of California Streaming. This is the California Streaming Podcast with your hosts, Bobby, Jonathan, and Louie. We're three conservative California natives putting ridiculous state and local politics on blast. So hop on our magic bullet train to nowhere and let's talk some California politics. Gentlemen, gentlemen. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's bracket time. <laughs> yeah, March Madness, baby. March Madness. That's true. We're what, like 12, 18 hours away? A little From bit the timing of the show, yeah. Yeah. Tip off. So it's it's the only month that matters in college basketball. So true. It's Luke. really become like a one-month sport. <laughs> That's exactly it, it right. It totally is. Right. I, nobody watches the regular season unless you have like you're an alumni or vested interest. <laughs> My cousin sent me a text yesterday, and it was spot on. It says something to the effect of it's March Madness. It's that time of year again where you have to look in the TV guide to figure out which channel True TV is on. Exactly. <laughs> it's probably the only thing that makes their channel relevant. We were joking that I could totally believe over the next two weeks their ad revenue totally supports the channel for the entire year. Who? Like, That's a good point. <laughs> who? I mean, I've never watched a single show on that station. I mean, I, oh, I people love, probably uh, do. Adam ruins everything. I, no clue. No, that's probably the only thing on there. That's, that's probably the it. only thing that's worth it. Yeah, never even seen that. Got to carry and that thing. It's probably only survived because it's a CBS station. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn you on to that show. You'll okay. love it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, who do you got, Louis? Oh, I don't know. I. <laughs> What's funny? Is, I, I always have you know my long shot Big West team, but. What do you? Th- I, okay. Okay. We we said Harris some um, Southern Cal State School alums, Big West alums. Yeah. What do you think Irvine's going to do? Well, I think they got a more favorable seed than they could have, right? They're playing number three yeah, or four. right, right. Uh, They're a 13. Right. They could have went in at a 16 playing a one or something yeah. like that, and it would have been brutal, but there's a we'll not see if they're the zero, real deal. Right. There's a not zero chance they can win. Right, exactly. Um, my Fullerton Titans were blown out by UCI. So, Yeah, it was kind of a flip-flop. I mean, mm-hmm. they got their chance last year against UCI, beat them. Then UCI yeah, they, they didn't even show up for that game no, that was or ugly. the game this year. That was ugly. But how about you, Bobby? Don't be a homer. Uh, well, I went to a, a school that is not participating. So, I mean, what's the point? Not like they. But they do a lot anyway. of stuff with cattle. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> right. Yes, they do. And um, I'm going to go with uh, Gonzaga as my pick. Mm. I, I, I think I that's the like pick of a lot of people. It's it Vegas's big. pick. That's I mean, for sure. I mean, they threw away that uh, that last game in their own tournament, but yeah, the really, what, the, what yeah. were they playing for? Yeah, Agreed. what were they playing for? Uh, well, uh, West Coast Conference tourney, yeah, finals. Well, I think that's the deal with UCI is that they actually have a couple on on the road wins against real teams, exactly, uh, and finished really strong. Right. Yeah. Great record. John and I were talking on the way up here, and we're I was saying people have been asking me Zion, Zion. I'm like, that guy's one and done. They get to about the third round, Duke. Right. That's it. It's interesting when that's going to start to infiltrate the college basketball tourney like it does in college football playoffs, right? You got the guys sitting on the sideline right. who won't play in the game because they're basically know they're going to get drafted in the top whatever. So they've right. been told, set this one out. Yeah, or like San Antonio does with the Spurs where they <laughs> yeah. start sitting out their yeah. aces as right. the playoffs approach. Right. Which the NBA hates. Bummer. And and 
And I get it. You right. you save up. Games are so expensive. You save up to take your kids to a game or something to see the Kobe Bryant's play or, totally. you know, uh, your LeBron James. But, but Kwame Browns. Yeah. <laughs> but they're all sitting on the bench. Yeah. No, you know, right. and I, I get it both ways. But there's also strategy to it. So it's true. Who are they to define the strategy of the teams? So that's going to be infiltrating everyone's workplace over the next couple of days from the recording of this episode. Oh, yeah. Just, now that you can stream it online, you can go to every channel, right? Watch it. Yeah. It's not a problem. Every day, yeah. your bracket's busted. Doesn't every matter. Day. Doesn't matter. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Every day. What's happening in the Fed? Uh, Trumpster wants to get rid of the funding for, uh, for public broadcasting. Mm. And I say it's about damn time because yeah. this, was a, this was an issue back when Romney was running for president. Yep. And uh, realistically, we only provide 1% of their actual um, revenue. So why are we funding this? I mean, like, how much money do we make from the Tickle Me Elmo's? Yeah, at some point here, right, there's a principal thing. Even, right, okay, well, 1%. Forget it. Just, well, man, I could, we could talk about this with a lot of programs in the budget, but is this an is this in the wheelhouse of the purpose or the intent it's, of it's the federal government? existentially... We cannot let these programs go. Right. Even if they're losers for us, even if they don't make any sense, we just can't let them go. That's because it. what what is it that they provide us that other channels don't? What is it? Government Downt- propaganda? No. Right. <laughs> Downtown Abbey? I mean, you could find it somewhere else if you really wanted to. Telethons? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I really don't know. No, the, uh, and who watches it anymore? I, it gets eclipsed in the channel guide of literally 1,000 channels. Who's watching public broadcasting anymore? And there's a... Ma- <laughs> Again, as we've talked about on the show, there's a massive difference. He's not, quote-unquote, banning public television. Yeah. If there are... I think that's going to be the selling point of for the course. Democrats. Yeah. But if there's enough people out there that want to open their checkbook and make up for that 1%... Right, of the, they'll of, get it easy. Done. It's easy. just like we talk about the, the people who feel like they don't pay their fair share of tax. You can always. Ooh, yeah. There's a box at the bottom of your 1040 that allows you to contribute and do that voluntarily out of your own pocket. You can square up your own guilt real quick. Totally. And if you do want to support public television, then publicly support it with your money. You can find an address probably pretty quick for where you could send a bigger Absolutely. check. So it's online. I I could look it up. You can send the no, government a check for more money. Oh, no, yeah, of course. No, totally. And yeah. I'm talking about the same deal with public broadcasting. Exactly. Contribute if you really love it so much. How about Colorado trying to get rid of, uh, trying to circumvent the Electoral College? This, the, and this is a major pillar, is it not, of yeah. a lot of the Dems that have entered the race so far, is the abolishment. I was reading on... Uh, Elizabeth Warren's Twitter feed. Yeah, They're going through it, yeah. Right now. Mm-hmm. The abolishment of the Electoral College is like a big championing point. Let me like kind of give everybody like an idea. And the Electoral College, when it was established, is supposed to be the final backstop just in case the American people made a huge mistake. And in fact... When the Democrats felt that the American people had made a mistake in electing Donald Trump, they, you know, petitioned the electors and the Electoral College to change their votes for Hillary Clinton. They responded by making more votes for Donald Trump because Hillary Clinton is the worst politician in American history. 
she makes Richard Nixon look like a Boy Scout. Mm. So it's important to have the Electoral College more so because when you calculate it, what happens is every single state gets one vote no matter what, and then it's based off of population. So that's why you can go to the Midwest into these farm community type uh, states that we have the, our ideas about and they have more representation not including their population, which is why Rhode Island tends to be a little bit more relative. Yeah. Right. Well, and there's your, there's your little electoral college history, if you will. And you, what you do is you eliminate the ability for New York and Los Angeles to control every presidential election. That's right. Cause that's all you would need mm-hmm. is to win those two areas. And you would have all the population you would need to basically put, uh, set forth your will on the rest of the country. Right. And, and I, middle I kinda, America is who gets left out. Yeah, that's right. I kind of looked at it when they were talking about this two years ago, and I kind of figure it would be it would be up to the top 20 populated, populated cities in America, with New York and Los Angeles being the obvious two, but, you know, Chicago. I mean, even down to, mm-hmm. like, San Jose. Mm-hmm. I mean, those but, but are But even then, important. when you look at... The numbers, that's what's always touted, is if you won Los Angeles and you mm-hmm. won New York, you would have enough population oh, to win the election. Get, yeah. Right. Given the average number of people that vote, what it right. would take to get 50 point whatever. Right. Uh, the perc- yeah. A pure number, pure um, voters. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. But again, if we were to change the system, you would change the way you campaign. You would obviously stop campaigning in Ohio or Iowa. The Iowa caucus They is wouldn't gone. matter. Yeah. They absolutely wouldn't they, matter. They wouldn't matter. And then you'd start hammering those 20 cities over and over and over again. And oh, well. If you guys had to guess, being as unbiased as possible, does this, does this thing have legs? Do you think enough people, do you think the Dems are well taking up a worthwhile issue because it will it will resonate with enough people? I think it probably only resonates with people that support them. Because I look yeah. at this as sore losers. It's not a middle issue, yeah. right? Is that kind of what you're saying? Right. It's not going to pull someone from the independent center. I think people only care if they feel like they got robbed in the presidential election. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Otherwise, they feel like the system worked as it should have. And people can talk about, well, Hillary won the popular vote. She did. But Trump wasn't campaigning for the popular vote, right? And so you have to realize it'd be, like you said, Bobby, yeah. you would campaign in a whole different strategy yeah. if that's what you were after. I've seen I've seen like some kind of um, schedule of you could win the presidency without winning any of the major uh, states, mm-hmm. the California, the mm-hmm. Texas, by simply going through the middle of the country because they hold so many electoral college votes. Yeah. Right. Like you could win with like a minimum seventeen states if you really really got it going. I remember talking to somebody uh, got who got this info kind of secondhand, but. Over in the Central Valley of California, right? Pretty conservative. And Trump basically flew in, had a fundraiser, and told everybody at the fundraiser, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I, I'm here to collect money for my campaign. Mm-hmm. I will not be campaigning here. Right. Like, I, I, I hear your issues about water and farming. I will take those with me to Washington. But but your money will not be spent in California. I guarantee it. Well, <laughs> I the, mean, he was honest. I right? mean, the same thing is done by Democrats in California. Oh, totally. Running for they president. They because need what's to. the point? Yeah, they yeah. don't need to what's spend What's the point of campaigning here? in here? You only do a certain amount of mm, 
I guess they're not rallies. But they go to Hollywood. They're, they go they're to nice Hills. plated yeah. dinners, you know, exactly. $10,000 a plated dinner. They go to Beverly Hills, uh-huh. collect the dough, right. say, thank you, I'm going to head elsewhere. That's right. That's why they continuously are in. Like, Trump's been in Ohio 20 times since he's been elected president. And because he wants those hardworking blue-collar votes, he wants to carry that state. He wants to win that state again because that's going to win him the presidency again. Correct. Yep. Let's get into some state stuff. Let's do it. Well, the first topic we got, we got a little talk from our governor, Gavin Newsom. I've got a new name for him. You mentioned this. I'd like to hear this new name. Governor Fascist Newman. Fascist Newman. Mm-hmm. Kind of has a similar ring. Fascist Newsom. Newsom. Not Newman. Newsom. Fascist Newsom. <laughs> Fascist Newsom. Yeah. Okay. We so, waited for that. I thought it was going to be more explosive. <laughs> no, I wasn't going to make it too bad. That's just newsome. So the headline from CNET, tech suffers a, quote, empathy gap, California Governor Gavin Newsom warns. So here's the deal. He was at a conference on artificial intelligence at Stanford, and he was pushing this whole notion that the technology industry must realize, no, it must realize, apparently, mm-hmm. that its marvelous advancements are also the source of profound anxiety and potentially disastrous societal changes. He says, quote, there is an empathy gap in technology. There's an anxiety that is real. He, um, he basically, in addition, lauded the Institute's mission to advance AI tech in ways that help people and boasted, obviously, about California and, and <laughs> had some quotes that totally sound Gavin-like. The future happens here first. We're America's coming attraction. He says that all the time, doesn't he? We're America's coming attraction. And for me, that's the scary no, part. We're an attraction already. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> the scary part. It, th- th- this probably is what America's going to look like. We're like a circus sideshow. Right. Um, but then he mentions, and, and so then I'll, I'll stop it after this to, so we can just get some thoughts. He, he mentions Uber's auto self-driving trucks putting drivers out of work. Um company creator of, I guess, formerly Momentum Machines, they're making fast food workers obsolete. You guys have seen the videos, I've seen right? Those. Yeah. Right? Um, Where they kind of do have like, they scan the grill for the burgers. Are they done? Do I need to put cheese on? All this automated stuff. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I think it's Nightscope Patrol Robots Replacing Security Guards. Last quote from Newsom before we dive in. Quote, I'm passionate. Guy's passionate about everything. I'm passionate about enlightened <laughs> capitalism. But businesses cannot thrive in a world that's failing. We truly do rise and fall together. Another. Is this world failing? No, no. I, okay. It's, it makes for better speeches right, when yeah. everything's crumbling around us. But we're, but quote unquote, rising from the ashes, right? He says, we need your guidance. We need your counsel. But we need your empathy as well. So quick, quick question. Please. Are we going to get all the bank tellers their jobs back because ATM machines take their jobs away? It's a robot. No, right. It does exactly what the bank teller does. It's a great question to start figuring out, okay, where's the line? In fact, I I would say, too, online mobile banking has made it even more obsolete. I mean, I don't. I used to only really go to the bank to make deposits, but now you just take a picture of the check on your phone. That's right. And I can't remember the last time, and I, ha- I do business banking and everything. Yeah. I remember the last time I even went to the bank. I would love to see in that specific 
use case. I would love to see like a demographic breakdown because I can tell you right now, my parents totally go to the bank, totally go to a teller like that, right? right. They use an iPhone, um, but I just don't see them ever crossing that threshold of taking a picture, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, and so it's a demographic thing, which is naturally going to phase itself out, right? And I think eventually it does. Right. Right. I mean, and this is to Bobby's thing. Bobby typically uses this to thwart out politicians. But you always say, follow the money. That's right. Same thing here. Okay. We've made it more affordable to develop an AI to replace the human because we've made it so expensive to hire and maintain a human. Mm -hmm. So his empathy is more like, let us continue to, you know, give it to you. But I still want you to hire people. You know, uh, this argument is the same argument we've been having for the past 200 years since the Industrial Revolution has occurred. Okay. We invent some kind of technology. And it doesn't matter what the technology sure. is. It could be the cotton gin if you sure. really want to. It's a, a disrupt, disrupting technology. Disrupting right? technology. But you know what? We've always bounced back. This is the fundamental of our economy in any economy, really. You have a job. You earn money. You put that money into an economy. Fellow people put the, their money into your business. The business thus pays you, and the cycle continues. Okay, so robot takes your job, and robot will be technology in this case. If robot takes your job, you have no money. If you have no money, you can no longer contribute to the to the economy. The economy no longer, you get taken out of this equation. Therefore, the robot no longer can do your job because no one is paying the robot. It's this fallacy, all right? There's always going to be in a healthy economy people losing their job, yes, getting a different skill set, right. and contributing back into the economy. What doesn't work in this system is when government intercedes and says, you know what, we're going to give you money so that you can be a participant in this system and right. thus pay the robot to continue right. not having a job. And it's this awful system that just it's a death spiral. Yeah, they they want to bend the they want to skew and bend the natural incentives and consequences for when disruptive technologies come online and instead try and tweak it to say, okay, we want the new disruptive technologies, but we want to remove all the risk and downside for the worker who over maybe even half a generation, maybe a generation is going to have to pivot Right. Into some new industry that is either created or becomes more important now well, that this new technology has come online. And the industry would be building and maintaining the robots. Yes. Correct. Right. So, especially code. Exactly. Or right. code. That's right. right. Code. Le- learn to code. Right. And that became a, uh-huh. uh, a slur on uh, Twitter. That, right. That to, that all the journalists, now. to all the journalists who said it to the coal workers. Exactly. And so, in that, jobs are diminished and new jobs are created and it's happened since the beginning of time. Yeah. But why would we artificially throttle our society technology wise? Because what we've done is we've sped this process up because of government's intervention. Mm -hmm. We probably weren't gun ho on developing 
burger flippers automating the burger flipper world until we had to pay burger flippers 80 grand a year. Right? It's, like, that's, <laughs> it's, it's such a spot on point. And all of a sudden we've sped up this, this cycle, you know, and Uber is trying to develop AI for cars because they're having such a problem with drivers. Drivers. Yeah. They're a little rapey, but yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, and it is more affordable if you can develop a car to pick people up. It doesn't complain. You don't have to pay. You don't pay it like a contractor, right? But they're advancing technology at the same time. And they're also outlaying that risk to develop that technology, right? The the driver isn't outlaying the risk in the automated car hitting somebody in a crosswalk mm -hmm. and all the pros and cons that come with developing an emerging technology, the Uber is accepting all that risk. Uh, their shareholders are accepting all that risk, mm -hmm. right? Um, so, in that risk, they get the reward. But we've 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 forced them into this container to do that stuff because we've made them have to pay so much for labor. Mm -hmm. We've had them. We're not letting the market dictate the cost of labor anymore. Government is. Yeah, when you put a floor on it, you're gonna like like we were saying earlier. You're gonna skew the outcomes, the incentives by the corporation to go faster to this burger flipping well, machine than they would have. Right. We expect we expect people just to bend over and take it. <laughs> right. Right. Same in California. We're going to jack up your taxes. Oh my god, people are leaving. We thought they would just stay here and continue to pay. So now we're uh -huh. now we're creating task forces to go like after them and figure <laughs> out how much time they're spending out of state. It's like the totally the wrong. Right. We we manipulate so much and then we're pissed off at the natural reaction to kind of circumvent the manipulation. It's it's kind of like uh, who was it John Kerry when they um, and he was in front of Congress and when he found out that like some terrorist who they purposely put back into a country and who wasn't supposed to leave they found him in right. another country and he says quote well he wasn't supposed to do that right exactly well, really oh okay in his speech uh, fascist Newsom he comes <laughs> up and he goes I'm passionate about enlightened capitalism. Enlightened capitalism. There but it is. business cannot thrive in a world that's failing. We truly do rise and fall together. Uh, we need your guidance. You need your counsel. We need your empathy as well. I was like, enlightened capitalism. Enlightened capitalism. So I actually had to look this up because this was a new term for me. Enlightened capitalism is a platform that applies to businesses that wisdom and insights from various spiritual, philosophical, cultural, literally traditions and also from individual experiences of experts in the field in order to combine sound business practices with external success and internal fulfillment. Open and free of any dogma or secretarian beliefs, enlightened capitalism is not designed to be a religious platform. It is merely It merely seeks to re redefine the art of business by adapting diverse models in order to enable businesses reach their goals and maximize, maximize their profits. So basically... Free market. This is really interesting. That what came to mind when I was reading this article. There, you, you guys probably have heard of this, and, and some of the listeners probably have. There was a really famous um, article in the New York Times Magazine back in September of 1970, written by Milton Friedman. And the title was "The Social Responsibility of Business Is to Increase Its Profits." And actually, I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, and I'd encourage listeners to go look it up. Reason Magazine ended up pivoting off of this article some 30 years later and had a, a, an exchange of letters between Milton Friedman and two CEOs, one of who at the time was John Mackey of Whole Foods. Very, uh, all three were libertarians, but to varying degrees of their 
thoughts and approach to this question. What is the social responsibility of a business? And Friedman, let me read two quotes from the article back in 1970 that Friedman had, because I think it speaks that to me, that's where Newsom is going with this, right? He's trying to softly suggest for now, and my guess is within the next decade, there'll be bills in California to force Force, it, correct. But right now he's suggesting to corporations that they be more responsible, socially responsible. Here's, Here's a couple quotes from Friedman. A corporate corporate executive has direct responsibility to conduct a business in accordance with shareholder desires, i.e. to make as much money as possible while conforming to their basic rules of the society, both those embedded in law and those embedded in ethical custom. One more quote. In each of these cases, the corporate executive would be spending someone else's money for a general social interest. Insofar as his actions is in accordance with his social responsibility, reduce returns to stockholders, he is spending their money. Insofar as his actions raise the price to customers, he is spending the customer's money. Insofar as his actions lower the wages of some employees, he is spending their money. And I think, the, the, to me, the main point that Freeman's bringing up in this, that someone like Newsom, them, who's pushing for all this stuff, is never going to talk about and it goes to what you were saying, Louis. This stuff doesn't come out of thin air. It's not like all, f- quote unquote, free money that you're getting to spend and use that, that wasn't imp- going to impact someone else. It all is impactful. The more of this kind of stuff you do, we talked about it with minimum wage. The worker who gets the $15 minimum wage means there was two workers who couldn't work for seven fifty. Mm-hmm. Someone got impacted. Right, but we never talk about the impacts of them. But why would we? That would be mean and unethical and opposed to his way of life, right? Well, when you can double speak too and say you got a job at fifteen, and the person who it'd be very hard to prove that they directly aren't working because of that fifteen dollar. Right, that's the key, right? I, you can't directly prove that, but we have a program for you to give you quote unquote free money to still help you so you'll vote for me. And that's what we've been, that's what these guys have been living on for this whole time. Right. And that's, I like Friedman's quotes because for me, we forget that the business entity has an obligation to shareholders. Exactly. People just think there's a board that makes a bunch of money and that's the top. <laughs> right. The cigar chompers, you've even said it before, <laughs> right. cigar chompers in a back room somewhere. Right. They don't understand they don't understand just how business economy works, like how a basic business structure works, how what the stock market is. Like Right. And they have uh they have a responsibility to make the shareholders as much money as possible because they're they're absorbing all the risk. Like I said, it goes back to risk. The right. Ben Shapiro had a really good exchange in one of his last um, appearances with somebody who was talking about the importance of labor and how basically the same thing, having empathy for labor. And he goes, labor doesn't have any of the risk, right? If you get fired or the business goes under, you can go get another job. Yes. When a business loses $100 million, that business owner lost $100 million. Yes. He took all the risks, so he gets most of the benefit. Yeah. I mean, just one second, Bobby, if you don't mind, 30 seconds. The way it works in in a general sense in in the owning stock in a company is you have bondholders and stockholders in the company. 
let's say tomorrow the company goes bankrupt, if there's anything, the bondholders get paid first if there's anything. Right. If you're a stockholder and everything that's left from the bankruptcy of the company is gone and paid to the, to the bondholders, you get nothing, like literally zero. So there's your risk component, right? If right. I'm a sh- so if I'm a shareholder, I am expecting that company to continue to operate in terms of profitability to keep my ownership worth something. Right. Because it could easily be not worth something. Go well, ahead. I wanted to follow up with that, and I wanted to address the empathy side of it of most businesses who are making uh, donations to charitable events or charitable causes. Mm-hmm. But in reality, what these things are, they're just advertisement for these companies. They choose, pick and choose which, you know, which uh, group is going to get a big sum of money. But more importantly, they advertise that they've given this group a huge sum of money. I'm going to give you a point. Uh, last Super Bowl, not this one, uh, the previous one, T-Mobile had this oh, commercial yeah. uh, in which they went, hey, look how much money we gave to this cancer victim and, or this cancer organization. It was like $200,000 worth of but they had to spend, I don't know how much the going rate for the Super Bowl ad was for a 30-second commercial, but I guarantee you it was more than $200,000. It was a commercial showing how, how good they were inside that they spent this money on a worthy cause. And I think even oh, like, yeah. You and, see that all the time. And, and you know what? That's great. I'm, I'm all for that. I think even later in this article, Friedman's back in 1970, he talks about that. So far, so in far as spending money on seemingly altruistic purposes for it truly being marketing to increase profits, you're trying to increase profits for the shareholders. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's a logical approach. Right. Well, and, and God, I feel like today more than ever, especially with Yelp and everything else, people virtue signal the other way. Don't spend money at this company oh, because yeah. they're evil, they're yes. awful, they test on animals, whatever whatever yes. it is, some stuff yes. they even make up. So Someone wore Omega hat in the, uh, exactly. <laughs> in the so, airplane. Yeah. Thrown out, yeah. So I feel like it's kind of like when you go into a job interview, like that is the time to gloat about yourself and to not be humble because you do need to yep. express all the good things you've done. And in a society where we're constantly virtue signaling and trying to tell consumers where they should go and where they shouldn't go, I don't think it's unreasonable for somebody to have to publicize their good charitable contributions because they're in a market where the evil is so much publicized. Right. And I think before you could be humble, you know, there there were certain things like you felt good about going to Trader Joe's or Costco because you knew that Mm. they paid their employees well or in and out. Right. Or Southwest airlines is always known for having that. They do case studies on how well they're, uh, how well they treat their employees and their, their customers. But now, you know, there's just, there's such a backlash on the negative side of things that you do need to publicize your wins, you know, because that helps attract more consumers too, who are looking at those virtues. It's just funny. I mean, for me, who just, so somebody who wants things to just be transparent, honest, just be real. More, at least I, I feel at least half of them, more than half of them are truly marketing. It's, it's not that, that, that there is at the top, this group of people whatever the profits, even if we have big losses, we're going to do this thing. No, you're doing this mm-hmm. thing because it's net present value positive for that's you to right, do it. That's right. it's, it's, it's a profitable virtue signal. And that's fine, because, but just be honest, what you're really doing is trying to maximize shareholder profits, your profits. You're, you're the major shareholder in the company, let's say. 
I got it. It makes sense. We got to get these millennials on board. We got to get them uh, buying our product. You know, that's what we got to (laughs) do. That's who it's geared to. Next one. I think so. Okay, well, we're going to stay kind of in the tech realm for this one. This is kind of an interesting one. I don't think we've really talked about this issue before. The headline is California becomes 20th state to introduce right to repair this year. So this comes from ifixit.org, a website that, well, I think this is the non-commercial side of this website, but the website is generally established, was established a while back to offer guides, tools, um, services to help you break down your tech equipment, a lot of iPhones, iBooks, Macs, etc. Mm-hmm. repair it, replace things when things go bad, instead of in- trying to break the stronghold that the company has on being the only people to repair that item that you've bought. So um, with the right to repair legislation, we'd be the 20th state to propose it in 2019. It, it comes from, I'm not going to get the name right here, but well, just Susan Eggman, a Democrat from Stockton, introduced AB 1163 to, rev- quote, revitalize California's repair economy. She, based, she said, quote, the right to repair will provide consumers with the freedom to have their electronic products and appliances fixed by a repair shop or service provider of their choice, creating a competitive market that will be cheaper for consumers and reduce the number of devices thrown in the trash. So apparently last year there was a bill uh, introduced in California and it was an amendment to California's lemon law. Um, it's a law. And, and actually this is, I, I'd heard of the lemon law and you especially hear it in relation to cars. Uh, yeah. Right? That's where it came from. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess this is a law. It's unique to California and it requires companies to provide a repair option. It's been effective at making sure that you can get your six year old MacBook pro fixed by, for example, by Apple. But here's the interesting part. I didn't know. That only exists begrudgingly by Apple and those sorts of companies in California. They don't do that or have to do that in Arizona. Um, They found a loophole, though. These companies did, allowing them to monopolize repair rather than providing parts to repair provider of consumer's choice. This bill is intended to close that loophole. I don't know about you guys, but this this brings up an interesting host of questions for me. Like, what do you own? when you buy something, right? That's like the, the root question that always comes up in all this. This happened. This was a big deal with John Deere tractors. Okay. Yes. Uh, th- and I think a lot of this spawns from that a year or two ago where, uh, you know, the tractor would get delivered and farmers would hack the software a little bit or okay. they, they, they had, no, I shouldn't say hack it, but they could Hook plug up. into yeah. it and change some values. Then John Deere locked down their software so Got no one it. could touch it. And you had to take it to a dealer for everything. Mm-hmm. And these farmers are like, when my farm equipment's malfunctioning during, you know, harvest and everything else, I, I don't have time to Odd load that hours, thing up. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. And you're in the middle of nowhere. Take it to the closest metro area where there's a tractor, a John Deere <laughs> repair place. Yeah. And so there was a big argument of, look, I just bought a $20,000 tractor. I can do whatever I damn want with it. I wish they were that cheap. Yeah, yeah, I'm just spitballing. But then John Deere says, well, we own the software. Right. You're that, licensing the software. That, this is and where this all gets, gets tricky. Right. This yeah. is where this all gets very gray and interesting. And it's like, it's when it comes to software, what do you own? Because some things are open source and some things are closed source. It'd be like, um, I'll try to keep this, uh, I'll try to stay away from being too techy on this. But let's say a lot of people out there listen or use Macintoshes, right? 
And let's say like you, you use a pull-down menu, and this would be kind of absurd, but you don't like the order that some things are in a menu. Do you have the right to the source code of OS X to change the order of that menu? And right now you don't. You know what I mean? Right. But, it, but it's like, first of all, I would agree. Why would you want to do that? But, but let's set that aside for a second. Do we need a law that forces the ability to do that? Now, granted, that's not necessarily something that's broken that needs to be fixed, but I feel the spirit is, is somewhat similar. To me, it comes down to... It's a high-tech version of the Gillette razor theory, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to exactly. sell you the razor handle dirt cheap, yeah. which is going to commit you to my razors, and then I'm going to charge you an arm and a leg for those razors, That's right. and you're going to have to come back to me every time you want a razor. And anybody who's got any kind of software in the last couple of years knows that everything has gone subscriber-based. Yes. Everything is a subscription. Now. Cloud. You can't, you can't just buy Office anymore. Dropbox. I can't write Dropbox a one-time check and have their service forever. Right. Or even when it comes to your Office software, you used to just go to Fry's and buy Office for 100 bucks or whatever. Now it's, well, it's Office 365, and you just pay 12 bucks a month for the rest of your life right. in perpetuity. And you get the rights to my software. Right. And I've noticed pretty much almost all software has gone to Boy, I think monthly so. use or it annual use way. fees. And yeah. nothing is, you know, and everything's gone to um, more of a, a SaaS route, right? So yes. software as a service, right. um, which is a high-tech way to basically talk about cloud software. Exactly. Monetize right. it over uh, periodically, keep you as a subscriber. Yeah. So like an example of SaaS software as a service would be like, Office Online, right? You're using Word, but it's a cloud version in your <laughs> right. browser, right? Right, right? And then you're paying for things for let, forever. Let me, Google uh, Docs is a free, it's free SaaS, basically. Right. right. Yeah. Let me take this in a in the extreme opposite direction. Okay. Okay. Boeing. Yep. Their planes are falling out of the sky. Yep. Now, we're everyone's talking about how their software is to blame, but let's go with the software. They write the software for their plans, and they have a whole bunch of other plans that aren't falling out of the sky. Mm-hmm. Would it be okay if the airlines who own these planes go and start messing with the software code? Who is liable? Well, that now that see that right there brings up that's a whole you're you're bringing up a whole other. That's why I went to angle, the extreme, right? No, uh-huh. no, but it's not even but it's not even an extreme. I would argue for a second, right? Let's go back to a computer, or let's keep it on a plane. Mm-hmm. Um, American Airlines thinks they know what's wrong, right? And 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 they have access to the firmware. Well, at some point, understandably, Boeing's going to say, "Okay, we sold you the hardware. You you changed one thing in there. All crashes are on you. All delays, any problem, don't ever come back to our door asking us a question, or or be prepared to pay this new." Uh, Service rate. Well, and let's let's pull out. I like this example, Bobby. Let's yeah. pull this out even more into an open source world. Yeah. So in John's example of the Mac, yeah, right. You, you're not allowed to look at OS 10. Right. It, it is closed source, just like Windows. You can't see the source code. Linux, yes. which is actually kind of the software that OS 10 is built off of. Right. Is open source for the most part. All, essentially all of it. I mean, all of by it's nature. Open, or, yeah. or you can have these lockdown distributions just like OS X is a lockdown version of it. Yeah. The argument for open source software is that it gets 
patched for bugs a lot quicker because when um, millions of people can see the actual source code, the bug is figured out really fast and right. somebody patches it and pushes it out to the rest of the world. So it wouldn't just be, say, American Airlines. Right. It would be all the airlines and all their engineers looking at yeah. all the software to, yeah. and bugs would get patched and they would kind of sh- all be able to check and balance mm. each my, other. My argument is that that's all well and good in a civil society with nothing but white hats. True. But we have this country. There's a lot of black and gray. But, but wait a we have this country called China. Okay. And Trump is in a real war with them and he keeps pushing this thing over. But they can literally steal this code, repackage it, whatever the code, whatever the, sure. the item is, and say, there you go. We didn't have to R&D with a thousand different software engineers over three years to figure out how to do this. You did all the work. Thank you very much. We'll sell it for cheaper. Okay, fair. But at the same time, let's go back to the Linux example. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, Louie. You, you, you're you more familiar with this stuff than I, but Red Hat or um, you know open source variants of Linux run like seriously profitable enterprise-level well, server farms for businesses, right? I mean... Right, but but even that, like Red Hat, is more like OS ten, more closed. It's off. an enterprise closed off. You know, they take the the code themselves and the then, open source version, and they then put they in their stuff. own tweaks okay. and lock it down with their own tweaks involved. Okay, but there's a million different flavors of the Linux operating system. OS ten is one of those. Um, your Android devices are built off of some flavor of Linux. That's fair. The stuff in your car, these planes run off a of flavor of Linux. Yeah, Linux is like. Yeah. The holy most of your ninety nine percent of your web servers, or maybe ninety yeah, percent, are based on Linux. Yeah. Uh, everyone thinks of Windows and Mac. Linux yeah. is like runs so, the world. And so it would. I mean, in about two seconds, anyone in China could go get a copy of Ubuntu or whatever open source version of Correct. Linux they want, right? Mm-hmm. But does that break down in your example only because it's so commoditized in computers versus the firmware that runs a seven thirty seven Max? You know, because you're saying you're you're bringing up the problem that China would have access to the 730 Max. I, I mean, software. one of the big one of the big funny things about in the Cold War, when Reagan was uh, was president, you know, Gorbachev came to visit him in a clone of a Boeing 737 mm. or 747. Yeah, and it was ex- well, the because, two tw- yeah, yeah. because they stole right. the blueprints on how to make one of those things, and obviously there wasn't software like there was today. You know, it was all if it's anything like mechanical. a bootleg movie, I don't know if I'd fly right, on a right. bootleg 747. <laughs> Trim but, issues the entire flight, a little turbulence. That's normal. That's yeah, normal. You know, it, I mean, we live in an age where, you know, jumping in to try to compete against Boeing is not likely to happen. I mean, it takes the efforts of the entire European Union to compete with uh-huh. Airbus against Boeing. So the likelihood of someone just willy-nilly making a, an airplane company. Well, and, yeah. And would would companies even want that liability? That's back to you, right. Yeah. That's such and a, just the cost and the teams of people, you, the engineers. That you'd, you'd rather just hear Boeing fix the problem, wipe your hands of it, and then fly. I mean, I, I don't, I don't see a in that case because of the liability and how interconnected all those systems are on the plane. You know, you're talking about the flight management system and computers and that. Mm-hmm. That's just one of a billion computers that run a plane. Yeah. It's not worth it. But in the case of the guy who owns his John Deere tractor or yeah. the person who just wants to get their iPhone repaired, not at the Genius Bar, yeah. 
where it's marked up. But that's to me that's a different uh, yeah it's a it's different a case beast because when it comes, it's worth it. And when it comes to Apple, when they came out in 2016, they said yes, we purposely brick these phones because they messed with our code. And they said, eh, well, okay, we'll we'll unbrick them, we'll put out a patch and fix these things. That's different because it affects it's you know not somebody's life on the line for these phones. It's somebody's life on the line. Tell that to a millennial. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Well, no. Well, here uh, I'll give you a little bit of life on the line. Motorola is the same way with their two-way radios and the fire or law enforcement service. Uh, The radios, the newest installation of their radios, the Apex family are they're like six thousand dollars out the door for each walkie-talkie. Oh, and then you got to buy a couple hundred dollars for their software and a programming cable, and you have to subscribe to their software to even be able to get into the radio (laughs) to program it. Sure, and then. Sure. There's there's special software that gets you deep deep down inside, but you're not allowed access to that. That's for the, the Motorola a, yeah. dealer has right. that, um, and and you can't go in there and do things. You'll avoid your warranties. You will, you know, all that stuff. And so, am I missing something when I think, uh, let's say, and we we know California's political makeup. This will pass, right? This sounds good. It's all fine and dandy, and it'll yeah. pass. Why wouldn't the natural outcome simply be you're going to pay? 25% more for all these products because let's say that the prospects of Apple now losing out on Genius Bar business because they're forced to allow the guy down at the Mac workshop down the street to prepare it. Well, there went away a profit center for Mac and the only way for them to get that back is fine. We'll just make that money back by charging more for the product on the front end. Well, and that's the model for dealerships, mm-hmm. right? Most dealerships make their money on service, right. not on selling cars. Right. They actually sell you the car in hopes that you're going to get all your service done there for the next seven, eight years. Right. Um, so if you started, say, but even then, you know, in the same argument for cars in general, cars have gotten so difficult. You know, we joke yeah. about it. Right it's impossible to work on them yourself these days because it's all the computers oh, yeah. and you open the hood and it's something about plastic yeah. and everything's kind of sealed up and locked down. God, if you have a BMW or some kind of European car, the, you don't even know where things are. The battery's over here. And you know what they've been doing? The, the auto, um, the auto dealerships, the, the, the makers, they've been saying, okay, well you can go to a different, uh, repair shop. That's fine. Lemon law. Right. But if you do that, your warranty is void because we are not responsible for that. And that'll be Bill AB1164 will be too. But but even then, (laughs) if you're under warranty, the repairs are typically free, right? Correct. So so in that case, I don't know why you wouldn't go to the dealer. Agreed. But after your 50,000-mile powertrain warranty wears off. That's where this question comes in. And you go to your friendly neighborhood mechanic. But see, then they stick it to him because he needs the diagnostic tools to look Uh, at it. And it's a hundred grand for him to get that computer and software. So somebody gets it stuck to them. Yeah. Yeah. And and to that point, I think it's just fair to to mention this is going to be beholden to the same laws of everything else we talk about. There will be unintended consequences. You're not just going to pass this and go, oh, sweet, everyone can get their stuff repaired by someone else now. Right. You're going to probably pay more for your stuff up front. You're going to pay more, or the diagnostic software tools that the, your repair shop needs is going to have to pay an arm and a leg. Exactly. Right, because why would they just give it to them for cheap? No, no, no. And then your right. price is going to be the same there as it was at Apple. Right. Although I still totally agree with the autonomy of getting your stuff fixed where you want and for the most part, software is tricky, but for turning right. options on and off, I don't feel like you're rewriting source code. Correct. You know, Correct. Um, or taking a, 
you know, a rev limiter off your car or something like that. (laughs) I I think it's when you start maybe programming from scratch features and things like that. I think turning things on and off are a different story because I've been known to do that. (laughs) The word on the street is. There are options I didn't pay for on my car that I may or may not have turned on. Through a computer and a cable. cable. (laughs) So I (laughs) got it, you know. On that note, that may or may uh, not have happened. Oh no! Yeah, you're, 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 I didn't hear nothing. I see nothing. I Stories nothing. are embellished for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> but talking about things that you may or may not should have done leads us into our next segment and final one. The headline reads: "It begins. Students sue elite colleges over bribery scandal." So. We talked about this a little bit, and I think ultimately, it, I, I feel that it um, it's worthy of being a California story, given that we're certainly dealing with some of these as California colleges. The ringleader was in Southern California. A lot of the notable families are based in Southern Let's California. Let's just call it what it is, because I'm an Irish fan. USC is heavily involved in this scandal. Is anyone really surprised <laughs> in no. that, though? Because doesn't that stand for the University of Suspects and Criminals? Oh, I like that one. Thank you. Thank you. I, I read... Uh, now, granted, that's coming from the son of a UCLA grad, but <laughs> I, full disclosure. <laughs> I read a great kind of expose in Wall Street Journal last night on this. I didn't I didn't know the... And I don't want to cut you off here. No, no, hit it. Yeah. I I didn't know the legs this thing had. Oh, I no thought it was joke. just a couple celebrities. No joke. I didn't this realize is... how deep... I mean, you had... So there's, there's two like big angles here. There was the... I'm going to help you get into college. Yeah. And then there's the, I'm going to help you cheat on your exams right. and get you yes. in that way. Uh-huh. Yes. And then I started looking at the exam. Wall Street Journal did a great like algorithm of how it worked. Okay. And it was, first what we do is we get you to our psychologist who says you have a learning disability. I was just listening to this on NPR. And then, the, then, yes. then that gets you the ability to take the test at a learning center. With a proctor. With a proctor. But we've paid the proctor. We know who the proctor is and for the, your exam. The proc- and you're going to take it at one of these two facilities that we have juiced and then they're going to help you with the test or they're going when you leave they're just going to change it to better answers and that was the one angle the other one was we're going to tell people that you're a star athlete exactly and we're going to literally photoshop you into team photos like all these different like rowing or fencing or so there's soccer was just came out for one of these girls the, the funny part uh the one where i just couldn't stop cracking up was there's a very prestigious private school in the San Fernando Valley uh, called uh, the Buckley School. Okay. And in the Buckley School, they had somebody who they said was uh, going to USC. Uh, They were a star water polo player. Don't tell me there's no water polo. There's no water polo team (laughs) at Buckley. So when they called to just check into things, Buckley's like, this is really weird because we don't have a water polo team. Club. Club team. So then they said, well... Then they developed the story more and they said, well, he plays club ball and he's like on some international team. Um, It doesn't surprise me. The school just wouldn't be aware of that. And then they even said, I know he's short and uh, he doesn't typically have the frame of a water polo player, but it makes him really fast uh, during, you know, after goals and things when they start the next side. So there was (laughs) like the, how elaborate this thing got. But you got was parents, amazing. But you got parents paying six figures and in some cases seven figures oh, per easy. kid. 
to, Easy. to conduct this. So that's a lot of money to do a lot of different well, you know things what? with and still make a healthy it, profit. It was the selling point of this guy. Uh, he would go to these wealthy individuals and goes, I know you're not that wealthy. Right. They're, I know you're middle-ish wealthy. Yeah, you're middle-ish wealthy. You're, 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 you're you there. You you're can't rich. donate the building on campus that's to get your kid point. in the traditional that's way? That's exactly it. And, I mean, Gavin Newsom, he came out of there and he was he was saying, like, we can't, we, we can't let this kind of theft happen. And I was thinking, I was going, Gavin Newsom, yeah. you're, you're, you're commenting on this, but you're the guy who ended up on Santa Clara University's baseball team. Right. And you <clears throat> threw out your arm right. and could no longer play. Right. And wait a minute, wasn't your dad... The, the lawyer for, for the, the Getty. <laughs> and your best friend is the son of, of the Getty. Huh. And all of a sudden you ended up on this university. And then all of a sudden you were appointed by Willie Brown to a board. And then uh, then subsequently put on the board of supervisors by Willie Brown because they finance his campaign. I'm like, wait a minute. Gavin, why are you making these statements? Don't you pay to play as well? So okay, okay. No, this is all. I want to come back to all this. Let me, okay. No, let me list, list the universities. Let me. Here's where this story angle is taking because it's just slightly different than the original facts in that it's saying, and I guess it kind of makes sense. There's a five million dollar. This is all from Daily Wire, March fifteenth. There's a five million dollar class action lawsuit expected to draw thousands of plaintiffs, and basically, it's coming from started by two Stanford University students, Erica Olson and Kalea Woods. They filed this suit in the U.S. District Court for the Northern, Northern District of California. It's filed against the following universities, alleging that they were not given a fair shot at admission due to wealthy students paying their way in, right. and that the scandal has lessened the value of their own degrees. Interesting. So here's the universities listed. Stanford, Yale, USC, Georgetown, Wake Forest, University of Texas at Austin, and University of San Diego. Let me give you one quote. According to the complaint, these schools represented that their admission process would be based on the applicant's merits, considering their character and performance. Instead, the students alleged that what they got was a process tainted by bribes and school officials who failed to assure an honest application process. So I think at the very least, they're suing for the money that they paid for the processing of their application I, I well, no, no, no. They were, they were suing because I, they got a lesser degree from a lesser I, university. I, that's going to be a little tougher. I, I think mean, that's the harder sell. Yeah, I, I'm not saying that that can't possibly be shown. It's going to be harder to show. Here's the thing, and I don't. When you're phony in test scores, that's oh man, that's going to not really apply to what I'm saying. But okay. the the sports thing then is what is what's right. Going to apply. When we started getting rid of the meritocracy part of getting into college when we stopped looking at scores and we actually had people who said you get in or you don't because you're this color or you're that color or play or, this sport or, or play this yep, sport or right. don't or that's right when you actually have somebody subjectively allowing people in you open it up for bribery yeah. versus you know what uh john's got a 1250 sat and this guy's got a 1400 and you've got this and that okay now we're looking at numbers and scores Obviously, when you're phoning your scores, that's a whole different deal. But understood. When but, we made it a subjective process, and I would say, and this what came out. He talked about this the night of or the next night after the story broke. Alan Dershowitz was on Fox News, mm. and he made a great point. He said, 
the really dumb thing about all this is rewind the clock when I, or Alan was saying this, when I started teaching at Harvard Law 40, 50 years ago, your charade would have lasted one quarter because you would have actually just flunked out. Right. You, yeah. you would have been outed because we actually gave grades. We actually graded stuff, gave tests that you couldn't pass. Right. This, all, this all works nowadays because the biggest hurdle in college is getting in. Right. And once you're in, A's or B's are handed out like Skittles at a lot of these universities. Mm-hmm. Even Ben Shapiro, I think, during one of his podcasts or on, on one of these interviews after this came out, said... When he got into Harvard Law, Kagan was the head of the law school at the time. And she basically said in front of all the, the first years when they first came, don't worry, you've gone past the hardest part. There's going to be no cutthroat nature now. You're in, i.e., you don't have to really worry about grades anymore. So that... It's I, all about critical thinking. So The enlightenment. And a lot of these yes. schools, I guess, don't even have grades anymore. So because of that skew of universities in terms of just got to make it in once you're in, you're good, That's what I think that's a big part of what allows all this to happen. Right. And what let, because some people I think are a little confused on this, what let people in as athletes was the fact they weren't getting scholarship, right? So they would get in as right. maybe a track athlete, yeah. right? but they wouldn't go to practice or anything. They wouldn't really, right. they, they might be on some kind of roster somewhere, but, or not. But a lot of, in a lot of these schools, the sports coaches and, ADs were kind of, they were all getting paid off. Yeah. There was a soccer coach at Yale that was a huge part of this too. And he would just get paid off to put people on a phony roster and they'd come into the school as an elite soccer player, but they never were a soccer player. Well, you kind of look at a whole bunch. They have quite a few different scholarships for different sports and they're all funded through some of the major sports, the football, the basketball. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you, you oftentimes see these, these kids who never get off the bench, even for the basketball and for football. You go, who are they? Why are they even there if they're not even contributing? I think in football, in college football, you're allowed to have 140 uh, roster size. Oh, right. 140 kids to be on the roster. You, you really only need maybe at the high 80 of them if you really want to extend it, but... 140, you got a lot of these kids who don't even matter. You just throw them in there, redshirt them, no problem. Ride it out. You'll manage. Before we have to go on this segment, I I saw in a Reason.com article, kind of brought up an interesting angle to this whole deal. I mean, there's a whole lot of hypocrisy that's being talked about with all this, right? Here's another angle that's coming from this article, and I'll, I'll quote a lot of it. Kelly Williams Bolar in 2011 used her father's address to ensure her kids attended a higher quality school outside her Akron, Ohio school district. Williams Bolar served nine days of a five-year prison sentence and received three years probation and had to complete 80 hours of community service. You know how many people do that? Right. So, so juxtapose that with this case and what they, the point they make is the difference between these cases isn't just the presence of celebrity. Um, Huffman and Laughlin, the two actresses, they had great options for their kids and thought they could buy even better ones. Williams Bolar was trying to protect her kids from the only public option available to them. So poverty-stricken families are not only unable to bribe coaches or proctors, but many also can't afford legal legs up, like extracurriculars that require a fee or private test prep course. So the sad component of all this is these people 
had the means and still bribe people to get in. Don't forget about the people that don't have means and are stuck where they are in the public system. Right. And they get busted when they try and do something because they maybe they didn't get into the lottery system like you read about and yeah. or even have seen in um, Waiting for Superman, those sorts of things. It's th- That's another disgusting hypocrisy angle. For sure. It hasn't been really disgusting. How much would you give these kids who were, you know, not allowed to go to school because these seats were given away. I think it's a tough sell. Oh, the the lawsuit? The yeah, lawsuit. I tough. feel like though someone like Mark Garagos could get them a lot of money. Oh, yeah. That guy, for, <laughs> sure. <laughs> for sure. I mean, yeah, they'll settle out of court, but I mean, what's the monetary value? I don't know what that is, especially since there's bound to be a million kids who... I looked it up. You know what USC's uh, acceptance rate is? What? 18%. Well, yeah, you know how many people apply there. Yeah, a lot of people apply there. Yeah. So it's like, well, too bad. I, I know a lot of people that went there, but it was because of pocketbooks. You know, right. what's the difference between that and just giving money as a booster? Right. The guy who gives a $2 million endowment, right. his kids are going to go there. Right. right. I oh, mean, oh, I, without question. So I, I think yeah. part of it's like, obviously, phoning scores and pretending to be an athlete is one thing, but it's not like money doesn't get you into these schools. And that it's not like that hasn't always been the case. <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. But. Not to mention the whole angle we didn't talk about is is pub, private universities involved in this and they want to have their specific sort of standards and take this. That's one thing. Some of these are state schools and nobody was bribing their way into Cal State. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry, Northridge is not on the list. <laughs> the beach. <laughs> yeah, no, nobody was uh, was bribing their way into Cal State Long Beach or CSUN. Uh, Cal State LA. Nope. You ready for it? Let's do it. All okay, right. I got one from Elizabeth Tweets. Elizabeth yeah. Warren. Uh, millions of Americans, like Amber, are spending more than 30% of their income on rent. I say it's time to address this problem head on, as in like rent control, which will make rents go up more. Okay. No, 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 no. It, it, it'll work out. It'll work uh, out. Okay. I got one from Kamala Harris. Uh-huh. We need a president who will stand up to the gun lobby. We had an assault weapons ban once, and we should have it again. These weapons of war do not belong on our streets, in our schools, or in our houses of worship. This is a fight I will take on as president. I got one from Gavin, and this is probably Uh, something we should open up with next episode. When two-thirds of those on death row are people of color and one-third have a severe mental illness, the application of justice is not equal. The disparities are profound, and that's why we must end the death penalty. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's a whole other that, That's a big Bashes topic. Newsom. I got another Elizabeth Warren. Oh. Every vote should count equally. Oh, I had that. No matter where you live, it's time to get rid of the Electoral College and elect our presidents with a national popular vote. Well, you know what? Mine was a little bit different. Oh, uh, I'm sure she's been tweeting she's about been this. She's been tweeting thing. about this thing. What's your, every, what's your it was every vote matters. We need to get rid of Electoral College. She yeah. doesn't recycle tweets, does she? Get out of town. Warren Town Hall. Mm. I got a uh, Maxine Waters one. The first line alone is worth reading this tweet. She says, I believe in the Constitution. (laughs) I can't even read that sentence without laughing. (laughs) I believe in the Constitution. The Constitution gives us the authority and the responsibility to decide whether a president is acting in the best interest of his country. I believe we have everything needed to basically impeach Trump. I just noticed this. She said is acting in the best interest of his country. Did she assume a future gender for the president? <laughs> Whoa. I got one from uh, Adam Schiff. 
First, Congress rejected the wall. Then Trump declared an emergency. Next, Congress voted to reject his emergency. Then he vetoed the bill. Now we vote on a veto override. For Trump, the wall isn't intended to separate U.S. from Mexico, but to cynically divide us here at home. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That, that's, that's what it is. They have zero part in cynically <laughs> that's what it is. Right. dividing. Um, <laughs> Trump, kind of, uh, Trump is kind of uh, blowing up Twitter right now. Uh, awesome. He said, uh, I didn't get a thank you for McCain's funeral. Oh, oh, oh. Wow! Yeah. Whoa! Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! Uh, Kamala Harris. As I've traveled the country, I've met with folks working two or three jobs just to get by. Their wages aren't keeping up with the cost of living, gas, rent, and utilities. That's why I proposed two bills to give middle class and working families a lift up, because we had nothing to do with those problems in the first place. Cool. Cool. Always such good tweets from such stupid people. Bingo. That's another episode down. Was that episode four one? Forty one episodes. It's yeah, crazy, guys. It is cool. New websites rocking. Uh, the Facebook is rocking too. So, if you have any comments, hit up the discussion on the website. There's a show page for every episode, or hit us up on Facebook. We've got a couple listener questions uh, and comments. So. I think uh, we're going to create some topics out of those, I think. Yes, we do, which is pretty awesome. Um, Find us at CaliStreaming.com, C-A-L-I Streaming.com. Download us on the Apple iTunes Store and Google Play. And Bobby, what should they do? We should encourage everybody to burn it all down.